Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome to another live stream here from <clears throat> what you know as APEX, uh, HHPLO, Health Human Performance Longevity Optimization. Uh, we've got some good things to talk with you about today. <clears throat> the first is um, we're going to be talking about the vaccine. Uh, should you take the vaccine? How does the vaccine work? What are the upsides, the downsides? Uh, we'll walk you through some things around the vaccine that I think you'll find very helpful. <clears throat> we're talking about the COVID vaccine. Um, the other thing is, to start off with, I want to let you know that we've changed the name of the practice. Um, <clears throat> we've moved from Apex, and the reason we did was there wasn't anything about Apex that we could trademark. And so in talking with people about trademarking, um, it became clear that if I used my name, Gladden, that um, that's trademarkable. So we've changed it to uh, the Gladden Medical Clinic and Research Center for Health, Longevity, and Performance Optimization. All that gets condensed into Gladden Longevity. Um, so this will from, from now on be the Gladden Longevity Podcast, if you will. So uh, just a little update for you there. <clears throat> let's jump into the um, let's jump into the topic of the Corona vaccine, COVID-19 vaccine. So um, a couple things about it. Um, there are several vaccines that are on the market, a couple in the U.S. right now. There's the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. <clears throat> and let me explain to you a little bit how they work. And there's also a J&J &J vaccine uh, that's coming along, and I'll explain to you how that one works as well. And then uh, in England, they're using an AstraZeneca uh, vaccine, and I'll explain that to you as well, too. Um, so to start with, um, you're familiar with the fact that the coronavirus <clears throat> is uh, an RNA virus, and it's been difficult to create a vaccine to it. We've had to go to extraordinary lengths to actually create a vaccine. Typically, when a vaccine <clears throat> is created, uh, we take um, an organism and we denature it. In other words, we kind of mess it up to some extent, but we leave its antigenic potential uh, available for our immune system to recognize it as a foreign agent. So even though it can't hurt us, uh, the immune system sees it as the agent that it is, and can you can develop antibodies to it. Your cellular immunity can develop reactions to it and you can become immune to it. <clears throat> That's typical for the flu vaccine. Uh, the flu vaccine, however, is only about 50% effective, as, as you probably know. Um, with the coronavirus, we've had to go to other extremes. And so now what's happening is with the vaccines, we're actually utilizing either DNA, double-stranded DNA in the case of the J&J &J, uh, vaccine, or messenger RNA in the case of the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, to actually bring genetic code um, into the cell. So you get an injection in your arm <clears throat> uh, encoded in the nanoparticles, uh, the messenger RNA, we'll talk about Pfizer and Moderna, make their way to your cell. They go into the cell, they're taken into the cell, and then from there they go into the nucleus. And from there, that messenger RNA uh, basically gets transcribed into DNA, which then can make protein. <clears throat> and the protein that is being made is actually the protein that is the spike protein on the virus. So imagine you have a virus here, it has a spike on it. It uses that spike to basically attach to the cell. There are other factors in play there, uh, but nonetheless, that spike protein is a key element of the viral attachment. Now, <clears throat> what the vaccines are doing is making segments of that spike protein. And then that spike protein is basically migrating back out from the, from the cell, rather, out to the membrane of the cell. And now you have spike proteins sticking out, if you will, from the membrane of the cell. And in that particular scenario, 
your body then can recognize that spike protein as being foreign and you can start to develop a reaction to that. <clears throat> okay, so um, there's a couple things about that. One is um, it's a different approach, right? Now we're basically harvesting our own nuclear machinery to make a spike protein that's now expressed on our cells. So the antibodies are now in essence reacting to something on our cells. And the question that is raised is, is there a problem with that? Is there a potential problem with that? Could that lead to autoimmunity? Could that lead to a hypersensitivity type reaction? <clears throat> and there's some evidence to support that um, it is possible to have a hypersensitivity reaction to a scenario like this. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, that being said, let's talk a little bit about the two vaccines, what's available, and then we'll talk to you a little bit of an analysis of maybe who should take the vaccine and who shouldn't. So in terms of the Moderna vaccine, um, it basically is fairly fragile. It's a messenger RNA. It has to be refrigerated at minus four degrees, which is sort of standard freezer temperature. Um, when you get the vaccine, you get an injection. It's 100 uh, micrograms of the, uh, of the messenger RNA. Uh, the Pfizer is only 30 micrograms. You get 100 micrograms, it goes in, um, and then four weeks later, you are to get a second injection, kind of a booster injection. And then two weeks after that is when the data was collected in the study that showed uh, a decrease in um, contraction rates uh, compared to the people that didn't get the vaccine. Now, I will say this about the, uh, the data. They're claiming a 94.1% um, efficacy rate for this. Um, but in actual fact, typically when viruses are, or uh, vaccines are tested, they basically will have a group of people that get the vaccine, a group of people that don't get the vaccine, and then they expose both groups to the virus and they see who gets it and who doesn't. In this particular situation, that wasn't done. <clears throat> there was a group that got the vaccine, a group that didn't get the vaccine, but nobody got systematically exposed to the virus. They were just sent back out into the wild to see who got sick and who didn't. And in that context, a few more people got sick without the vaccine than got the vaccine. And based on the math that they do there, which is really a small fraction of the group that was actually in the, in the test group, uh, they're claiming a 94% efficacy rate. So that's a little bit suspicious, quite honestly. And they will also tell you that uh, the efficacy rates are actually less in the population where you're most interested in it being effective, which is people over the age of 65. So just keep that in mind. <clears throat> and also keep in mind that when you get the vaccine, um, you're not protected immediately. So, uh, you know, some people think, oh, I got the vaccine on Tuesday. I'm good to go on Wednesday. It doesn't work that way. Your body takes some time to actually build the antibodies to the antigen until you have protection. And there's an interesting twist here. <clears throat> you might even be a little bit more, and this is a little bit speculation, but it's something to think about. You might even be more sensitive to a hypersensitivity reaction if you were exposed to corona in between the vaccines um, than you would have been without it. So the fact that you got your first shot, and if you're going down that path, then I think you need to continue to be cautious about your exposures, wear your mask, wash your hands, stay away from people that you think, or situations where you think you might be exposed, get your second vaccine, then wait two weeks, and that's the point at which you should have the protection, whatever the protection is gonna be, you should have it from that vaccine. 
Now with the Pfizer vaccine, it's a little bit different. <clears throat> you get the initial injection. It has to be refrigerated at minus 96 degrees. So that's a very special freezer. Um, but you get the injection three weeks later, you get the second injection, you wait one week and then you're protected. So from the initial injection to protection with Pfizer is four weeks and with the Moderna is six weeks, just so you're aware of that. Now, <clears throat> the J&J &J vaccine is not using messenger RNA, it's actually using double-stranded DNA. And it's coming in through an adenovirus, which is kind of like a virus that causes a cold but it's a denatured adenovirus, so it's kind of um, can't really hurt you, can't cause the cold. But it brings, it's a vector to basically bring the double-stranded DNA into your cell and into the nucleus, and then it's decoded. And again, the spike protein is basically expressed on your cell membrane. So it has the same potential question of, is this sensitizing you in some way to autoimmunity on some level? Or is it setting you up for some sort of hyper-immune uh, response, um, maybe an anaphylactic-type response? Um, so these are, these are questions that have yet to be answered. Now, also typically understand that when, when vaccines are created to viruses, um, typically they're tested in animals, right? There's a lot of animal testing and they basically work out who's gonna, which animals are gonna have a hypersensitivity to it. Is there gonna be an anaphylactic or a catastrophic type allergic reaction to it? That was never done with these vaccines because of the, you know, the big mandate to rush everything forward, it came straight out of the lab into humans. So another reason to be a little bit cautious about whether or not you should take the vaccine. Um, so those are a couple of things that I wanted to, um, to bring to, to your attention. Now, the other thing to think about is that there are mutations out there now, which the vaccine may not be protecting you from. And so if you do choose to get the vaccine, just realize that it's not necessarily carte blanche to walk into any scenario you want and actually be protected. So there's a, a couple of things going on there. Now, I think personally um, that deciding on whether or not you're going to take the vaccine is kind of a risk benefit analysis. So at Gladden Longevity, with the clients that we work with, we've done their genetics and we understand actually who is more susceptible to that hyperinflammatory response that COVID-19 can create for some people. We have ways and mechanisms actually to decrease that inflammatory response. We have numerous ways to protect ourselves from the virus getting into the respiratory tract using sulforaphane, from getting into the vascular system using arteriosil. We're optimizing levels of vitamin D, iodine, zinc, vitamin C. Um, we're using things like echinacea. And we also, I've been traveling. If I'm traveling, I'm actually traveling with hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and I also take Zofluza with me. Now, Zofluza is a medicine that will knock out the flu in one in one dose. Basically, if you feel you're coming down with a flu, you take it. The next day, you're you're fine. Um, and we've we've used that for several years. It's very effective. So, given everything that we know about our own genetics, what we're doing to to basically protect ourselves and knowing how to treat it. Um, I don't feel inclined to need to take the vaccine. Plus the fact that I probably had COVID based on some antibody testing that I did in the spring, where my initial antibody test showed that I was just below the, the gray zone. And the next one, a couple months later, was back down to complete normal. So I assume I was coming back down from an infection I think I had last February. So that being the case, I'm not really uh, worried about COVID for myself in the sense that 
I think COVID's very real. It really does affect people, but I don't think I'm at high risk. Therefore, I'm choosing not to take the vaccine. Now, I would donate it to somebody else that I think would benefit more. There are other scenarios, though, where people are at high risk. And I think those people would benefit from taking the vaccine. I think one caveat is, though, if they have an autoimmune disease, they might want to think about that fairly carefully because if they're already have an autoimmune disease and now they're revving up antibodies that's recognizing something on their own cells, it's a bit of an unknown. Is that going to make the autoimmune disease worse or not? Is it going to trigger some sort of reaction? So I think you have to think that through for yourself. But um, our, our recommendation is that we're not anti-vaccine, um, but we are really being very careful with this risk-benefit analysis to try to figure out uh, who benefits and who doesn't. So I hope you find that helpful. And um, if you have questions about that, we're delighted to have you send in questions or whatever we can do to help answer those. And um, we will talk to you next time. Really appreciate you being here. I think the lights just went out. I think that's God telling us that it's the end of the live stream. So we'll take it at that. And uh, I wish you guys very well. Thanks. 